From the Great Armathan District Talking Newspaper Association, welcome to the second of our 2020 Christmas News Updates. Hi, I'm Graham, your newsreader, and in the news this week, deaths in Norfolk due to COVID-19 reach 600. Floods spoil Christmas celebrations across the county. Sainsbury's are substituting their cafe for Argos. And we take a month-by-month look at 2020, which we almost certainly leave gladly behind us. Plus, we celebrate some of the people who went above and beyond during this strangest of years. As usual, though, we start with the week's news. We start this week with the news that the number of coronavirus deaths at Norfolk hospitals passes the 600 mark. The number of people to have died at Norfolk's hospitals after contracting COVID-19 has passed 600, and latest figures show that around 100 more beds are being occupied by coronavirus patients than during the first wave of the pandemic. People have been urged not to let the virus run riot in communities and to keep sticking to the rules. As of December the 27th, a total of 603 patients had died having been admitted to the county's hospitals. The data, which includes the Norfolk Community Health and Care Trust, shows a distinct rise in deaths at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital since mid-November. By November the 13th, 129 people had died at the county's largest hospital after testing positive for coronavirus. But that figure has now jumped to 209, a 62% rise. Between May the 28th and November the 3rd, just three patients died at the Norfolk and Norwich after getting the virus. And, more positively, on Tuesday, the Norfolk and Norwich said that almost 600 people there had been discharged after recovering from COVID since the start of the pandemic. In all, 194 people had died at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn and 164 at the James Paget University Hospital in Galston. This is up to December 27th. Both have experienced similar increases in deaths during November and December although neither as steep as the Norfolk and Norwich. Until mid-December, the Queen Elizabeth's overall number of deaths had been higher than that of the Norfolk and Norwich since the pandemic's first wave. However, the number of beds occupied by COVID-19 patients at the Kings Lynn and Norwich hospitals this month makes for worrying reading. During the first wave, No more than 121 people were admitted to the Queen Elizabeth suffering with coronavirus at any one time. But on December 20th, there was a new high of 158. The picture at the Norfolk and Norwich is similar, with 109 in hospital on December 22nd, compared to a first wave peak 
of 84 in April. Nevertheless, the James Paget's first wave peak of 79 compares to a second wave peak of 48 on November the 12th. The overall peak for Norfolk's hospitals during the first wave was 249 on May the 3rd, but the figure has stayed at 250 or above since December the 12th. As of December the 21st, there were 353 people battling COVID-19 in hospital, also a new high. And family homes have been practically destroyed after Christmas Eve floods. Heavy rain prior to Christmas, wind direction and our tidal rivers once again combined to bring the area many inundated homes and widespread flooding to roads and land overnight on Christmas Eve. A naturally occurring quirk in the nature of our broads and rivers, generally referred to as tidal locking, causes the outgoing tides on the rivers to be held back from reaching Braden Water and the sea by the incoming tide. The subsequent build-up over several tides of the rainwater, which was swelling the river system, overwhelmed the banks and caused major flooding to low-lying areas overnight Christmas Eve to Christmas Day and continued through until the middle of the week. Most of the lower-lying land around the river margins in both Norfolk and North Suffolk suffered the highest water level since 2003, causing many homeowners to evacuate their properties. With areas upriver of Braden, including Brundle, Loddon, Cansley and Reedham on the River Yare, and Haddiscoe, St Olives, Borough St Peter, Beckles and Dis on the Waveney amongst those badly hit. The problem has now receded, but leaves many homeowners and businesses to count the cost of their ruined properties and a Christmas which provided a very bad end to a very bad year. A bar, balcony and a stage for former Ice House, the relic of an industrial revolution. In the mid-19th century, the landmark Ice House in Great Yarmouth was at the forefront of an industrial revolution that would see the town's fortunes soar. It was built at the same time as Southtown Railway Station, meaning freshly caught fish could be packed and transported to London's Billingsgate fish market reaching a whole new consumer base. Ice was cut from the broads and imported from Norway to be stored in the structure, once one of a pair and the only one of its kind left in the UK. With a capacity for over 42,500 cubic metres, packed ice could stay frozen for months, ensuring a steady supply of fresh herring to the capital and beyond. However, Advances in modern technology saw it overtaken and overlooked, serving for a time as a grain store for J&H Bunn, who also renovated it in 1980. Now it could have a new role, driving a second revolution, a cultural one. Plans have been submitted by arts charity Sea Change Arts to repurpose the building as a hub for all things circus, including training, and fabricating apparatus. 
documents submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council describe the Grade 2 listed heritage asset as uncelebrated and with an uncertain future. The papers say the big dark brick box is perfect for the kinds of activities the charity wants to carry out. The changes will transform it into a unique and delightful space that could lift the whole area, it is claimed. Modern requirements to do with safety access and toilet facilities mean some changes and an extension are needed. And to make the most of its position overlooking the River Yare and the Town Hall, there will be an outdoor balcony. A bar is also being installed to help with revenue. The papers go as far as to say that Yarmouth could not have progressed without the Ice House, now a rare survival, so significant was its role. They conclude, It has taken a forward-thinking charitable arts organisation, in the shape of Sea Change, to recognise the building for its worth and to propose an innovative model that would make appropriate use of the large uninterrupted volume and bring life to the current dreary West Bank. The proposal demonstrates a way to conserve the Ice House and to provide a contemporary addition to enable the building to function as a community art space. And the bid is part of a wider regeneration plan for Yarmouth under a £60 million town deal bid. News now that Sainsbury's are to act their cafe and install an Argos branch. The two standalone Argos stalls in Great Yarmouth are set to shut under a business shake-up. The two stores are amongst 420 set to close permanently in the next four years as Sainsbury's looks to relocate Argos shops to its supermarkets. It means the cafe at the St Nicholas Road store will not reopen and instead hosts an Argos concession. A Sainsbury's spokesperson said it's hoped to find new roles for those who would be losing their jobs. A statement said, We're listening to our customers and reviewing the services we offer so that we can create the best possible experience in our stores. We are speaking to colleagues about our plans to open a new Argos store inside our Great Yarmouth Sainsbury's. This will replace the cafe and we are proposing to close the Argos stores in Great Yarmouth Town Centre and on Retail Park as a result of these proposals. We understand that this will be an unsettling time for the colleagues involved and we will support them in any way we can. This includes looking at redeployment opportunities and alternative roles available within the business. The company had earlier revealed plans to open 350 more Argos stores in Sainsbury's and Argos collection points in supermarkets and convenience stores by March 2024. The shake-up means closing around 420 standalone Argos branches, cutting the total number to around 100 in the next two years. Sainsbury's took over the homeware and electrical retailer, famous for its little blue pens, in 2016. Before Tier 4 was imposed on Saturday, December the 26th, 
the Argos store on the Pasteur retail park had reopened, but the one at the town centre had remained shut. The closure announcement spells more retail gloom for the town centre, and particularly the east side of the marketplace, with Edinburgh Woollen Mill, Pondon Home and Peacocks all closing. In March, the town lost Palmer's department store, a high street staple for some 180 years when Beals collapsed into administration. It followed the closure of the town's Debenham store in Market Gates as retail struggled even before the pandemic. And there's a bid for nine homes on a stopped-up Old Coast Road. A proposal for nine new homes next to a terrace of cottages on a dead-end road is in the hands of planners. The outline application is looking to build the detached and semi-detached houses in Old Coast Road in Ormsby St Margaret. The bid is for land next to Salisbury Cottages with primary access off the dead-end street. It's described as a small development. A decision is due by January the 25th. The site is near to the former first and last pub, which is bidding to be demolished and turned into flats and shops, a proposal that has drawn concerns, including from households in Old Coast Road. The parish has drawn a flurry of bids for homes with two much larger applications for the former pick-your-own-field at Scratby and land near to Willow Farm in Yarmouth Road, recently being turned down by planners. Old Coast Road was stopped up in the 1990s when the Caister Bypass was built. Before then, people said that sometimes they had to allow some three hours to get from Winterton to Galston in the summer. As safe as it gets, how World Bowls is being staged in Norfolk behind closed doors. Potter's Resort has confirmed the international competition will go ahead in January. Normally, some 20,000 spectators attend the event at the home of Bowls, but it will all be played out behind closed doors. Managing Director John Potter said the portable rink was being laid with hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of mechanical ventilation systems turning the air. He said, all things being equal, it is happening behind closed doors, but people can watch live online across social channels and live-streamed on YouTube, and, of course, live on the BBC for the final week. It's as safe as it gets with just the two or four players in the seriously big room, often 20 or even 40 metres apart, with hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of mechanical ventilation systems turning the air, and not too much excessive heavy breathing. Bringing the tournament to Norfolk was the brainchild of Potter's Resort's chairman and tourism innovator, Brian Potter, who passed away in November 2014. In 1997, work started on a six-rink international standard stadium, a total investment of £2.5 and the stadium officially opened in 1998 
when Potters hosted the National England Ladies Championships. The event was an enormous success, and when the World Bowls Council saw the facility in action, they moved the championships to Hopton the following year. The 17-day 2021 Indoor Bowls Championship gets underway on January the 8th. And finally for the news, how to ring in 2021. With a virtual trip to the circus, of course. For Great Yarmouth's Hippodrome Circus, New Year's Eve is usually the biggest night of the year. Always sold out, it adds a few extra bells and whistles for its hooping audience as it flips and juggles into January. Moving into Tier 4 on Boxing Day meant cancelling some 30 shows, including the New Year's Eve special. Instead, the circus is coming to your front room with a free streaming of the Christmas Spectacular and a special countdown and party with Jack Jay, Ben Langley and the whole Hippodrome cast. Building owner Peter Jay said, The New Year's Eve is really special at the Hippodrome, with audiences experiencing our amazing show, followed by a huge countdown and party to end it all. It's become a tradition for hundreds of people who sell out the performances. There were three sold-out performances planned for the day, which have now been cancelled. Producer and ringmaster Jack Jay said, We've had hundreds of people getting in touch since the closure, so upset that they cannot come along to these special shows, along with people who are having to shield or isolate. So we thought, why not make the show available on New Year's Eve and give people the chance to experience the magic from their very own home. We really hope it will be a boost to those who are alone, who can't be with loved ones this new year. Viewers will be able to access the full Christmas show and New Year's Eve party via YouTube and Facebook from 7pm on New Year's Eve. Company director Ben Jay said, We want to do this as a gift to our amazing audiences who have supported us through the toughest times this year. It's completely free and whilst there's nothing quite like being in the magical Hippodrome itself, this will be the closest thing. In addition, the New Year's Eve Hippodrome special will be available on its official YouTube channel from 7pm on this New Year's Eve and it will be on the Hippodrome's official Facebook page also from 7pm and for some time afterwards. Thank you. A salute to some of the frontline heroes fighting COVID-19. The COVID-19 pandemic brought the best out of Norfolk and Waveney and Archant have highlighted just some of those who reveal the challenges and sacrifices of the last year and how the public rallied round when it mattered most. Firstly, Julie Robinson, Home Manager at Oakland's Care Home in School, comments The pandemic posed challenges like none I have ever encountered before. I had to lead a team that I didn't know and make them believe in themselves. 
They stood up to the challenge and we have had some fantastic times over this unusual time. Richard Brighty, hospital porter at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn. Hospital porter Richard came out of retirement and returned to work because he could not walk away from the NHS during the Covid crisis. The 57-year-old has worked for the health service for 37 years, with 20 of those years being spent at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn. I wanted to support the NHS in a time I felt it needed it most, said Mr Brighty, who retired in March and returned to the hospital in June. Now the team at Norse's Test Kits and Food Distribution Hub. The team was set up in spring to support Norfolk County Council's pandemic response. Working tirelessly behind the scenes, the seven-person team has ensured that protective equipment, emergency food boxes and test kits are stored, packed and delivered across Norfolk and into Waveney. They have risen to the challenge of helping to keep people safe by so far delivering over 7 million items of PPE. Julie Avery's Procurement Manager at the James Paget University Hospital. Judy oversees the buying and distribution of thousands of items to keep the hospital running, which is a challenge at the best of times. Add in the huge additional demand created by a pandemic and the job reaches a whole new level. But procurement manager Julie Averys and her nine-strong team at the James Paget University Hospital in Galston rolled up their sleeves and made sure that the supplies kept flowing from the loading bay to the wards. The procurement team focuses on buying everything from paper clips to CT scanners and getting them to the right place at the right time, supported by the hospital's environmental and logistics team. As the pandemic took hold, there was a need to ensure that not only did the day-to-day supplies keep rolling, but also vastly increased quantities of personal protective equipment, that's PPE, to help staff care for patients with COVID-19. Our workload increased and it also changed, said Julie, who has worked at the hospital for more than 25 years. Now the team at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. Staff at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital have been on the front line of the fight against COVID-19. As well as caring for patients, staff at the hospital have been carrying out research in order to discover new techniques for treating coronavirus. Among those involved were the team on Brundle Ward, who have been one of the main COVID-19 wards at the Norfolk and Norwich during the pandemic and the microbiology team who have tested more than 50,000 patient swabs for COVID-19 since the pandemic started. Michelle Wigger, ward sister of Brundle Ward, during the first wave of COVID-19, said, We supported each other really well, and the experience has brought us together as a team. It's a privilege to provide that care to patients at a very difficult time. I feel really proud of the team and they chose to stay as the COVID-19 ward 
when there was talk of them being rotated, which is really commendable. Carol McEwen, matron on the critical care complex, which looked after the sickest COVID-19 patients during the pandemic, said, Patients and families are at the heart of everything we do as a team on critical care. And Norfolk County Council's team. Norfolk County Council's staff had to react quickly to the pandemic, providing services across a range of areas. Among the team are Ali Gurney and Amanda Locke. In May 2020, Ali's job in public health changed dramatically as she met the challenge of COVID-19, setting up and running the team described as the backbone of the council's and public health local response to the pandemic. Ali's team includes epidemiologists, data analysts, nurses, environmental health officers and public health consultants, dealing with all reports of COVID-19 cases from schools, care homes, businesses and partner organisations such as Public Health England. The local outbreak service now operates seven days a week and has managed more than 800 situations and outbreaks. Amanda Locke was based in the County Council's Adult Social Services team. Before 2020, Amanda was a member of Norfolk County Council's employment team, but in spring was asked to support Norfolk's day service providers as coronavirus hit. Day services provide vital support for individuals with physical, sensory or learning disabilities. And the social distancing rules have transformed how they operate. These providers can contact Norfolk County Council throughout the pandemic for advice on the new regulations, what is meant and what the County Council could do to assist them in supporting their vulnerable service users. Amanda's support helped make a real difference Despite being new to the role, her positivity, compassion and can-do attitude helped many people and she was even nominated for recognition by the Lord Lieutenant by one of the providers she has supported this year. And lastly, Norfolk Police. Norfolk Constabulary's response to Covid-19 said, Policing Norfolk is one big team effort and the Covid-19 pandemic has affected every part of our organisation on a scale that would have been unimaginable at the start of this year. We had to find new ways of policing and supporting our staff, officers on the front line, staff in back office support roles and our special constables, all of whom are critical to the continued delivery of our services. The announcement of the first lockdown was followed at Force HQ in Wyndham and in stations across Norfolk with an eerie silence as staff were asked to work from home. And suddenly everyone needed a laptop. This provided a logistical nightmare with suppliers seeing increased demand for their equipment. Screens were installed in our control room so we could deal with calls to 999 and 101 safely and significant changes were made to our regular policing patrols. People's roles were changed at the drop of a hat, and everybody stood shoulder to shoulder to support each other. 
These are just some of the people in the public services who have worked hard to keep our county safe during these strange and dangerous times. And before we go, we thought you might be interested in this look back at 2020, month by month, by the Archant staff. January. Initially, there was good news and bad news, and much of the focus was on the under-pressure retail sector and how it could survive. We were excited to see the plans for Great Yarmouth's new £3.5 million marketplace, but were worried about what was happening to the rest of the town centre. We already knew Debenhams was closing and when the store's last day came on January the 15th, people said it was a shame. But there was worse to come with Beals collapsing into administration just five days later and store closing signs going up in Palmer's shop windows just a few days after that. However, there was activity at the former M&S store in King Street, as Sports Direct looked to be getting stuck into its takeover of the building. On the TV, we enjoyed Chris and Debbie King from Bradwell putting Great Yarmouth in the spotlight on Couples Come Dine With Me. Meanwhile, it emerged that controversial headteacher Barry Smith was no longer in charge of Great Yarmouth's Charter Academy. On to February. The month started cheerily enough, especially for fans of Rag and Bone Man, after the singer popped up to deliver a surprise performance at Gorston's Ocean Room, delighting the crowd. Uncertainty about Palmer's continued, with everyone keeping everything crossed that a buyer could be found. While coronavirus had taken hold in the national headlines, it makes its first appearance in this newspaper, that's the Mercury, amid news that a Chinese takeaway in Acle had closed as a precaution as staff returned from Malaysia and Hong Kong and went into voluntary quarantine. At the time, it was reported that some 45,000 people were infected worldwide and over a 1,000 had died. Meanwhile, Great Yarmouth Pleasure Beach was pulling out all the stops to bring a new ride over from Italy for Easter, the Lightning 360, which was to replace the popular Mulan ride. A storm swept across the country, leaving a trail of damage, and a new attraction appeared on the seafront that looked like part of the aftermath, an upside-down house, providing visitors with a zero-gravity illusion experience. But then... Everything was about to get upended. As March came in, Palace Bingo in Great Yarmouth revealed it was taking the coronavirus threat seriously and temperature testing everyone who came through the doors. But mostly, the rest of us were carrying on as normal. Palmer's department store did finally shut on March the 15th, ending more than 180 years in the town. At around the same time, we knew we had three positive cases in Norfolk, all at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn. The first deaths were confirmed in the county by March the 30th, and by March the 31st, 
there had been 18. Boris Johnson announced the first national lockdown on March the 23rd, although people were being told not to gather before that, and Haven Holiday Parks had already announced they were closing temporarily and asking holidaymakers to leave. The news was dominated by pictures of eerie, empty streets devoid of activity, with people only allowed to leave their homes for essential items or one hour of exercise. We started clapping for carers at 8pm on March the 26th. And April sees us getting used to life under lockdown. It's all still early days with rainbows and teddy bears abounding in household windows. In what would become the norm, there was a rash of cancellations and holding events online becomes the way forward. Some anniversaries that would have been a big deal pass by without fanfare, including the 200th birthday of black beauty author Anna Sewell. We were only allowed out to buy essentials and to exercise, and sunbathing was banned as neither essential nor exercise, which is a shame as the month ended up being the sunniest on record, with a whopping three and a half hours a day more sunshine than normal. Josh Johnson from Lingwood played the piano for 24 hours to raise money for Mind, and a man in Galston is praised for social distancing as he lounges in a hammock strung up on a roof. There was heartache as Chelsea Dack from Galston went missing and people were warned off from joining the search because of the pandemic. Boris Johnson was out of action for three weeks after contracting coronavirus and the month ended with an actual earthquake off the Norfolk coast and the equally shattering news that B&Q had reopened some of its stores, an event that required a police presence to manage cars and queuing. Well, May arrived and things went a bit mad. The month started with news of a man running nine miles in a mankini. Matthew Trett was raising money for the NHS and ended his feet with a dip in the sea. Meanwhile, a family in Galston coloured in their home brick by brick, reflecting the craze for all things rainbow, and a skeleton was found in the waterway's lily pond, which had gone a mysteriously vibrant green, prompting a police manhunt and widespread condemnation. We celebrated VE Day in fine weather in our homes and gardens, and enjoyed a doorstep toast led by pageant master Bruno Peake, the main celebrations being largely abandoned for the pandemic, the bank holiday having been moved especially to May the 8th. We continued clapping for carers, but after nine weeks on May the 26th, we put our palms together for the last time, as restrictions looked to be easing and hospitals seemed to be over the worst. Residents of Borough House in Great Yarmouth enjoyed a drive-through disco, and Norfolk knitting queen Margaret Seaman unveiled her Knittingdale Hospital creation. During this month, the cap on exercise was scrapped and we were encouraged to go back to work, but not to use public transport. 
we lost livestock legend Peter Edrich and the man who captained Concord, Peter Horton, and Great Yarmouth's Seafront Marina Centre was reduced to rubble. Not many tears for that. In June, it's back to school for some primary school children who are being taught in bubbles and asked to socially distance. In Ormsby, some pupils hailed it as the best day ever, as the novelty of being away from the classroom appeared to have worn off. As we all flocked back to the beaches, there was no water fun for the Corbett family after their lockdown hot tub was stolen. Racing returned to Great Yarmouth Racecourse, albeit behind closed doors. And a mystery man cleaned 700 windows for free in Great Yarmouth. And pilot Tony Walsh took to the skies to entertain people with loop-the-loops and other daring feats. Great Yarmouth Market reopened on June the 3rd, after more than two months, paving the way for the rest of the shops to open their doors on June the 15th, when face coverings became mandatory on public transport. All the talk was about being Covid-ready for July the 4th, when leisure and entertainment were due to reopen. Gorson's Palace Cinema looking to put mannequins in empty seats to aid social distancing. (laughs) By the end of the month, we were back on the broads, in what seemed a return to almost normal, aside from queues and social distancing. During the month, tributes were paid to Mr Akel, Brian Grint, former Caster Infant School headteacher Patricia Lewis, and Eileen Reid, a former teacher and mother of Olympian Cathy Reid, who all sadly died. In July, it seems a lifetime ago now, when, on July the 4th, pubs, bars and other hospitality venues reopened after being closed for 15 weeks on what some had optimistically nicknamed Super Saturday. Meanwhile, the sight of empty cruise ships anchored off the coast while international travel was suspended reminded beachgoers of the pandemic's impact. A welcome coronavirus-free distraction was a crockery-bombing phenomenon, which saw up to 40 colourful mugs and a striped china pot mysteriously placed on a roundabout near the James Paget Hospital, which in an unrelated development lifted its visitor ban on July the 28th. Within a couple of weeks, Highways England had removed the ad hoc display, claiming it was dangerous. It wouldn't be long, though, before the roundabout was back in the news. The end of the month brought tragedy when a couple, Alex Mills and Niraj Patel, were found dead in a flat in Galston. We also lost Derek George, secretary of Caster Lifeboat. On to August... It was a summer of staycations and rammed restaurants as tourists flocked to the coast and restrictions continued to be loosened during the month. We learnt the phrase eat out to help out during August. In what was becoming a seasonal tradition, the Haven Bridge was causing problems again when an electrical fault prevented it from opening and boaters who had been holidaying off the coast complained they couldn't return home. And a twist in that crockery-bombing saga saw a new mug 
bearing the name Mr Big appear on the Mad Hatter's Roundabout, the nickname given by locals to the junction. Not far away on the town's high street, traders breathed a sigh of relief when parking was allowed again after barriers placed on the road to allow room for social distancing were removed. But there were omens of the coming months. Cases of COVID-19 were rising in Great Yarmouth, especially after an outbreak at Bannham Poultry. On to September, it was back to school, but not back to normal. Parents queued four hours to get that last-minute piece of uniform, while bus operators urged people to travel outside peak times to allow children to get to lessons. Potter's Resort confirmed job losses because of Covid. Plans were approved for a McDonald's restaurant and drive through at Asda on Acle New Road and Gorson Beach, often referred to as the region's best-kept secret, was named by TripAdvisor as one of the best on earth. While oil and gas bosses applauded a long-awaited green light for plans to build the Third River Crossing, there was anger and frustration in Yarmouth when the government announced it was delaying duelling the Acle Strait for at least another ten years. At the end of the month, 36 people working at the Bernard Matthews factory in Holton, the majority of them living in Yarmouth and Lowestoft, tested positive for coronavirus. And October, the pandemic dominated news on the coast. A surge in cases prompted a plea to public to take extra care to stop the spread of the disease, and Covid marshals patrol the streets. The James Paget Hospital brought back visitor restrictions and on October the 7th reported its first Covid-related death since the end of June. We learned that Margaret Seaman, the caster woman who knitted a replica of the Nightingale Hospitals, won the praise of Boris Johnson. The debate over free school meals made its way to Yarmouth on October the 27th when plates bearing messages of disappointment appeared on the steps of Brandon Lewis's constituency office after the Conservative MP had defended his decision not to vote for the extension of the scheme during the half-term holidays. At around the same time, a man was taken to hospital after the car he was driving ploughed into the side of the Albion pub on Nelson Road. Halloween saw the Prime Minister announce the second lockdown would begin on November the 5th. And on to that month, and the news brought throngs of shoppers to Yarmouth Town Centre as they raced to beat the imminent restrictions, hunting down essential items, gifts and festive greeting cards. Christmas came early to a village in the Broads when a woman urged residents to make Martham sparkle. There was shock and disappointment when two post offices closed, one in Borough Castle and the other on St Peter's Road in Great Yarmouth. 72 people were arrested after a 30-metre fishing boat crammed with 69 migrants from Albania was stopped off our coast. A coroner found that Alex Mills and Niraj Patel, the couple found dead in a flat in Gorson in July, 
had taken their own lives. Meanwhile, tributes poured in for a Yarmouth legend when Andrew Mavrudis, nightclub owner, died. He was 49 years old. And the last month, December, the last month of a troubled year brought the end of the second lockdown when, on December the 2nd, Norfolk entered Tier 2 restrictions, a decision that didn't seem to surprise many people in the town. We looked on sadly as demolition teams tore down the popular Dunes Cafe in Winterton, bringing to an end the building's long and costly battle with coastal erosion. That same day, but without any of the traditional fanfare, the Christmas lights were switched on across Great Yarmouth. There were, of course, glimmers of hope when the first patients received coronavirus vaccinations at the James Paget Hospital, and when we thought, finally, there might be an end in sight. But those images were soon eclipsed by news of the new variant of the virus, and after the five-day loosening of restrictions over Christmas was abandoned, we settled in for a much quieter festive season, suspended somewhere between hope and apprehension, and then a move into Tier 4. Well, that's all we have for you for this edition of Grapevine News Update. The recording is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted from the publications of Arts and Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Our normal online service, if there is such a thing, returns next week when Margaret will be your newsreader. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, have a happy and healthy New Year and get that jab as soon as you can. Bye for now.